<clears throat> let's do this. Hopefully I don't cough up a lung. Yeah, how are you I'm feeling? feeling a, you know, I'm feeling a thousand percent better today. <clears throat> you know, yesterday I was still, Jesus Louise, felt like I was dragging around a 500 pound backpack, you know, and it wasn't on my back. <laughs> I legit had this like thought that, did John die? And if John died, that would really suck. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Because he didn't write any of this down. You gotta write this <laughs> down. <laughs> okay, that's funny. See, I thought, I literally thought, yeah, he really cares about me. He, like, really cares about me. <laughs> uh, I do care, actually. I do care, but that did cross my mind. I'm like, that would really suck. Hmm. How about you? Hit me. Well, uh, just really quick, because nobody really cares about all the stuff we've been doing, but I've just been packing, 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 packing. So yeah. I may, I don't want to jinx it, may have bought a building. And if if it goes through, then I'll be moving in in January, but I got to put everything in storage in Arkansas until January and then move it up to Wichita. So anyways, that's what I'm working on. It's just, you know, my shop is, uh, I don't know, 3,500 square feet. And turns out I'm a... I'm a damn pack rat and I just hide things. I squirrel stuff away in every little nook and cranny, apparently. I didn't think I did, but as I keep going through stuff, it's just more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. So that's what I've been doing all week. And I'll be that's doing what that next we week. all do. Yeah. Uh, legitimately is what all of us do. It doesn't matter. You know, that's why one of those conversations constantly get in with people like, hey, you know, my shop, well, I'm in my garage. And, you know, I can't wait. I know we've talked about this so many times. I can't wait. I'm going to get a 3,000 square feet. No, a 5,000 square feet. No, a 10. It doesn't matter. You know, wherever you think you scale up to, yeah, you pack stuff away. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Well, dude, yeah. last night, I was like, ah, you know, I had a bunch of um, old, old financial documents, you know, tax records and receipts and everything. It went back to like, I think... 2007 I had back to um, anyways you know so I was like I'm gonna burn this stuff I'm not gonna throw it away so I have a burn pile here and so I went and put all that there and I was like yeah, maybe I'll start getting rid of these scraps because all these you know I have like a wood rack started started put scraps seven skid steer buckets piled full of just like little off cuts that I didn't even know I had just thousands of them <laughs> everywhere I started pulling them out I'm like damn plywood 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 you know just everywhere melamine and uh so seven seven trips to the burn pile with overloaded skid steer buckets of this stuff that fire went i got up like at one in the morning it was still just blazing out there so yeah yeah but that's one of the benefits of living in in, you know rural arkansas is you can burn that kind of stuff because uh had i not done that that would have filled up you know several dumpsters just with the little scraps so yeah it was crazy yeah i haven't done that in a while i used to do a once a year purge of the shop, like once a year. And I, I learned when my brother was working with me, cause my brother is like the ultra pack rat, like seriously love him to death, but I'm, I'm not kidding you, man. You could pull up like old Portland cement. That's like turned all chunky. And he'd be like, you know, I think if we just, you know, if we really screed this, I'm like, Dude. Man, that stuff's so hard now. You know, you take a hammer to it. Mm, but you know what? I think if I can really, <laughs> like, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. So I, I always had to wait until he was gone and then just go through the place and just pile up. I usually end up getting like a 
call the uh, dumpster company, you know, have them drump, dump a dumpster because my shop's in a industrial area. And then I just fill it. Yeah. I just, you know, chuck everything in it, shut up, just get rid of it. And, um, and then I end up missing something usually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm bad at is, is partial tubes of silicone. <laughs> you know, you, you like put the foil tape on the end of it and you like put yeah, it up on the yeah. shelf. You're like, oh, I'm going to use this again. But then six months goes by and you have like 40 of them. And, but you can't yep. bear to throw them away. You squeeze them. They're still soft. You're like, oh, yep. I'll probably use this. But then when it's time to do a project, you don't want to risk it. So you get a new tube and you cut it yep. open because you're know, like, ah, I really don't want to, I don't have it not set. So, but I don't know. It's like uh, the catcher in a rye and like, you know, you just keep doing it. You keep buying it, keep buying it, keep buying it. And it just is what it is. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I always think sometimes if I just cut the tip back a little bit, cause you know how the silicone gets stuck right in the end. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh, no big deal. I just, I'll cut the tip back a little bit. And then you, you know, you jam the little, whatever that little hole thing is and then a little bit comes out and then it plugs up again. You're like, Oh yeah, no big deal. <laughs> then, let me, then I'll give me a screw, right? You grab a long screw and you screw that into the end and you try yanking out some of that old silicone mm-hmm. and it finally comes out when you think, and just, just, just go get, get a new tube. tube. Yeah, six bucks. <laughs> six bucks. Just get over it. Just get over it. Just stop it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right? Yeah, we're weird. We're weird. I don't know. Uh, so concrete, what's, what's, what's going on with concrete? In the world of concrete, God, I don't think so much right now, man. I, per one of our last, I've been, I have been working on the, you know, silicosis, dropping all that. I've still been working on that. Moving forward with it, see where it goes. But you know what? You know what I did today? And this is still related to concrete, but now I was working in the shop, still working on a color sample, believe it or not, for this client. But uh, I, th- I threw one together today where I now I'm to the point of pre blending the pigments instead of the little, you know, I was doing like 10 pound sample where I take all the pigments, you know, half a gram, two grams, blah, 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 blend it all together, you know, throw it all into the... So, so now I just blended five pounds of pigment to make sure nothing changes. Because I, I don't know if you've done this, but again, I, I don't recommend it to anybody. It is like the ultra pain in the butt. I know it's been a what? Other than I got sick, it's been a two-week time sink that I'll never get back. Um you know, weighing up the individual pigments on a small sample, 2% loading, and everything's at point something grams. So you're never, you're never going to get it right. You're never. So anyway, so that's what I was doing today. Blended that up. In the meantime, I was playing a little, let's say, um, nostalgia. When's the last time, you remember the old Concrete Network? Oh, yeah. When's the last time you ever looked at Concrete Network? Mm, 2007, maybe? Seriously? Honestly, huh? I think that was the last time. No joke. So that's... Is that still a thing? Is, uh, what was that guy's name? Jim, Jim Peterson? Was that his name? I think so. Yeah. Yeah? Seems familiar. So I, I was doing stuff like that today while I was down there at the shop waiting for the sample to set up so I could, you know, tool the surface and stuff. And so, and it, it just got me thinking... We now, I mean, we're doing the resources we do. So what real resources are there anymore? Uh, for me, Concrete Network was a resource. Yeah. No, it was at a time before social media. I mean, Concrete Network was big before 
Google was real. I mean, Google's a thing, but not a thing like it is today. And Facebook was a thing, sort of, mm. but not like it is today. I think everybody finds local retailers differently than they used to. So Concrete Network, Network had a place at one point as a directory to find people, but I think any more people do it differently. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't gonna, know. No, you might be right, but I guess where I wasn't necessarily to find the contractor because I found that interesting. I actually typed it in and, you know, there's not many people on that anymore. So I don't know how many people still use it for that. But I remember it as a resource where I could go and read articles about mixes and sealers or stains or dyes. But did it, and, but did it ever seem objective to you? Because to me, I remember those articles and it always just seemed like, you know, the, the uh, retailer writing an article about some sealer they sell. And I never really felt like it was, you know, for the trade, by the trade. And um, hmm. it's just my opinion. Just my opinion. I could have read the wrong articles. Maybe I read the wrong articles. But I just always felt like it was the same thing with Concrete Decor. I always just felt like the articles were written, written by people, for the most part, they were trying to sell a product but didn't really have experience with that product. It read like a salesman trying to sell a product to me, not like a, a user of the product. You know, there's a lot of information. I've read a lot of articles in Concrete Decor and Concrete Network back in the day that were written by people that I know for a fact don't do concrete, but they're writing articles on how to do concrete for people that don't do concrete and think, well, this guy wrote an article. He must know what he's talking about. Mm. I know that guy doesn't know what he's doing, but a lot of other people don't. So anyways, that's just my take on it. I don't know. Am I wrong? Uh, you could be right. You know what? I haven't even looked. Is Concrete Decor even around? Yeah, no, I still get emails from them. They, huh. um, I think they're only online now. I don't think they do print. But, uh, yeah, I get an email every month. Hmm. All right. Well, that's kind of all. That's, that's all I've been doing with Concrete today. Other than that, man, no. What do you, how about you? Anything exciting? Nothing exciting. We've received a few tech calls in the last week. Actually, the last couple of weeks, because we've, it's been a couple of weeks since we did the last podcast. But the, the tech calls, Kind of uh, the the general consensus is doing concrete as we specify with your temperature using some ice or all ice, depending on where you are. It's, it's a sliding scale depending on temperature, but using ice and curing properly, that those things are a lot of extra work. And, you know, you, you had a call recently where the person was like, do you really do all those things? Like, it seems like a lot of work. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things, like, I used to think that. I, I, was, I was talking to you, I'm like, I don't know why people say that, but then I remembered I used to say that. Yeah, I remember that. I remember talking to you about it. Now, I'm going to give you the benefit of this because at the time, you were in Phoenix. Yeah. Which was, you know, warmer um, than anything you've dealt with since you moved to Arkansas. But I remember having those conversations with you. Yeah, and I don't know why I felt that way. Because I just made this arbitrary decision in my mind that using ice, too much work, too much hassle. Covering it with felt and plastic, way too much work. I don't got time for that. That's too much work. But yeah. now that I do that on every piece that I do, now that I use ice and uh, something, you know, we talk about ice a lot, but I think people maybe haven't listened to all the podcasts, so they've missed those episodes. But ice, you don't, you don't, it's not all or nothing. It's not always right. 50%. You need to get a digital thermometer. They're 15, 20 bucks at Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, wherever. 
get a digital thermometer and check your concrete after you've finished mixing before you cast and see what the temperature is. Is it 70 degrees? Add more ice on the next one. Is it 50 degrees? Add less ice on the next one. And just kind of get a feel for it. And it's going to change through the summer, through the fall, through the winter. It goes up and down. In the wintertime, I might use 10% ice. In the summertime, I might use 80 or 90% ice. Maybe 100% if it's super, super, super hot. You know, I think um, the whole icing, people get a little intimidated by it. They get a little overwhelmed by it because they think, I got to put all ice in. No, no, no. So it's something that, that you do. But what I was going to say is, back when I was in Phoenix, I just made this decision. I don't know why I made this decision. Oh, it's too much work. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too much work. Yeah. And now that I do it, it literally adds, literally adds. Yeah. Two to three minutes max. Max. Per yeah, project. seriously. Yeah. To do the ice. And maybe five minutes, maybe five minutes to unfold the blankets, you know, put yep. felt on the piece, put plastic, and then put a couple packing blankets. Maybe five minutes. It adds no time. And the conversation you and I are having earlier today is what is, what is the cost of not doing it right? What is the cost yeah. of skipping those steps? The cost is tremendous. You have much weaker concrete much softer concrete, not near as dense, and you run the risk of having to recast. So if you do it right the first time, it takes you, let's say, conservatively, eight minutes more, eight minutes more of work to do it right and not redo a piece because of it. You know, so it's one of those things like, I used to say it too, and I have no idea why I said it. I just made the decision, but I, I hear that from people, you hear it from people where there's pushback on ice, there's pushback on curing, as if it's uh, well, and it's not just pushback. Really I mean, I, what I'll get sometimes, like one of the recent ones that related to curing, it was he. This person, like, he wanted me to tell him, like, yeah, it's not necessary. Like, uh, you know, just just do it if you want to. And the way, he, so the way he asked the questions, like, you know, that just seems like a lot of blankets. I mean, is it something? I mean, is it really something I need to do? Yeah. Well, absolutely. But then I have to like swing my answer around <clears throat> and I'm just going to take it down a path. It really depends on what you want your outcome to be, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and I hear this a lot from you, it's you don't know what you don't know until you realize you don't know it. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to relate this to a, another tech call I got. So one of the guys made a fireplace hearth, did his normal cure regimen, and then for whatever reason, something happened in, well, I don't know, the install, and he has one of those big, like the king carts, right? So he had this big hearth sitting on the king's cart for like three weeks. I mean, like, and now this is him, so I'm going to say three weeks. During that three-week period of time, he had... I like, you know, strips of batting. Um, in this case, it was, it was actually like a rubber batting that he was using so that the, so that the hearth, and, and again, this is the finished face was sitting on this rubber matting and then sitting on the king cart for almost three weeks. Right. Then he installed it and realized like, whoa, you know, all these places where that rubber uh, batting that he put on there, kind of as a protector that it was leaning against, all those areas were distinctly darker mm -hmm. in color, like in strips. Yeah. Like, no kidding you. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, 
in massive strips. And so him and I got into that, that exact conversation, like, well, yeah, man. And, and I brought him all the way full circle to a mistake many of us had made before, like way back when, when we'd pull a piece and then member put it on foam blocks. Mm -hmm. Remember that the old yeah. foam blocks. And then you flip it over and I'm like, Oh my God, I got these foam square. <laughs> I got these dark squares everywhere. <clears throat> and so where I'm going with this is the realization that when we talk about cure, yes, I mean, the undeniable part of it is the concrete issue, the compression, the hydration, you know, percent hydration, all these kind of things. But another really overlooked one is cured properly, you get enhancements of color. You know, there's dramatic differences in just curing things properly just in aesthetics compared to not. And so if anybody wants to like, you know, if you've never made this as a mistake, then do it on purpose. Take a piece, do your normal practice and leave part of it covered longer than another part and flip it over and go, oh yeah, there you go. Look at this. Put a block of wood on it. Let it set for a week. Take it off. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. when uh, I made those tile recently and I took them up to Wichita, I put them in, in a trailer and I uh, stacked them with cardboard in between each one. I mean, you talked about this because mm -hmm. I was going to do foam in between. You're like, eh, you might want to do cardboard. Let it breathe yeah. a little bit. Don't put the foam, do cardboard. I'm like, all right. But the problem is the cardboard wasn't big enough to cover the entire face of the tile. So it's covering most of it, but not all of it. And I had that slight worry. I, I only wanted to leave it. I told my helper, like, when we get there, let's get these unloaded ASAP. I don't want to just leave them in a the truck for an extra two or three days right. um, with this cardboard in between because it could possibly darken differently. And yep. it didn't because they were fully cured. We cured them properly. They stayed dead flat. But that being said, you know, once you have that happen on a, on a project, and for some of us, it's happened more than once. It's happened multiple times where... You know, you just made the mistake of having a piece of foam that made contact and it sat there for too long. And then when you get to the site and you're carrying it in, you see this big square or whatever. Yeah. You're, you get paranoid about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that in of itself is a big part of curing and proper curing. And, and again, I know we say that. What, what does proper curing mean? Well, it what just does means, proper curing mean, John? How do you properly yeah, exactly. cure concrete? What do you just, do? Tell it, me. Tell me. Pretend I've never I done felt it. like material down onto the concrete first and then plastic. That's creating the air gap barrier, insulation, heat blankets at the very, very minimum, at least four or five layers of heat blank or excuse me, insulating blankets. But optimally would be the next level of incorporating a mild heat blanket so that the heat coming off the concrete maintains, you know, 12 to 16 hours versus spiking up and cooling down. So speaking of this, I don't know where I talked about it from this point of view. If you have a mixed design, regardless of PSI, so for round numbers, we're going to say 20,000 PSI. Most people don't realize this, but during the period of time that you're covered and trapping that heat, the idea is to gain about a thousand psi an hour. Okay, you know, so in if you can get into that, let's say ten at the lower end, let's say a ten to maybe twelve thousand psi in a tw you know in a twenty four hour period. There's only one way of achieving that, 
And that's trapping the heat and allowing your 1,000 PSI an hour to actually happen. Without it, you know, you, you're looking at something that's maybe 25, 35% cured, hoping that you're going to get the other 75, 65% of the cure, you know, weeks to months down the line. And that's just not smart for all of us that are trying to turn product in as little as three days to, I'm guessing, unless you're sitting on it, you know, maybe seven to 10 days max. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah. But, you know, in his case, you don't know till you don't know because he's never done it. So, yeah, to him, it sounded incredibly daunting. Uh, you know, I don't do that. That seems crazy. Well, then do it and then see the difference. Exactly. So you don't have to listen to me say, no, do it because it's the right thing to do. You know, do it because you like legitimately now see a complete difference in your product. You know, stronger, better color, easier to seal, you know, all the things that you're turning it now in, in days instead of weeks. Less chance for curling. Yeah. Because you consume yeah. all that moisture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we have videos. Anybody that wants to see just a slight, you know, or a slight, to see a short video explanation, if you go to KodiakPro.com and then click on the menu and tutorials, we have a video where we show how to properly cure concrete, the steps. And so, yeah, you just, you cast your concrete, you wait until it uh, essentially is firmed up to where when you touch it, it's firm, which, you know, if you're using Maker Mix, might be hour and a half, two hours max. And then you cover it with polyester felt, plastic sheeting, packing blankets, which I get those at Harbor Freight for like eight bucks each when they're on sale. Yeah, they're not real expensive. Yeah, you go yeah. in and you buy 10 when they're on sale and, and they'll last you forever. And, uh, and then like John says, I don't, I don't necessarily always do the heating blanket on top of the packing blankets, but it's better than not doing it. So it's one of those things that, uh, that, you know, I'll do four or five, six layers of packing blankets and I come in the next day and put my hand underneath and it's still cooking. Right. Well, it's, I'm going to say it's, it becomes more critical as we moved into the time of years that we're moving into now. Yeah. Winter months, you when know, fall, cold. winter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when ambient temperatures, like out at your place, sometimes ambient temperature in your shop, you know, 85 to, you know, 85 plus, well, sure. You know, I mean, the reality is that concrete's not going to spike up and cool back to 50 degrees when you have the, you know, your mold materials, your table, the air around it, you know, everything's 85, 90 anyway. So, okay. I can see definitely getting away with it under those circumstances. But like today, my shop, which is weird because last year we went through, or last week, rather, we had pretty significant spikes in temp. So today I'm 65. Well, you know, I don't want the concrete cooling back down to 65. I want it to hold about a hundred, you know, 110, 120, somewhere in that zone. So if that's all I did is cover it with heat blanket or excuse me, with moving blankets and everything around is 60 ish degrees. Well, number one, you know, that's, that, that's going to cool down dramatically as the heat from the concrete goes into all my 60 degree blankets. You know what I mean? All, think, all the insulation around it, absorbing think, all the heat. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No question. I don't know. If I think you have enough packing blankets on top, when that thing cooks, it's just going to cook. And yeah, but it's it. all going to absorb first. So it's going to act as a heat sink is my point because it's all 60 degrees. Yeah. So as that stuff, yeah, all that 60 ish 
stuff around it's going to act as a sink. And that's not what you want it to do. What you'd like it to do is back to that summertime, have everything at 80. You know, have everything nice and warm and toasty around it. Not hot. Doesn't need to be 100 degrees or anything. Sure. But enough to cut down on the, on the you know, absorption of the heat from the concrete. Because as long as the heat is leaving the concrete, you know, being absorbed by everything around it, it just takes that much longer for it to find its spike. Gotcha. And then the ice thing, I don't know, man. I, I you know, I guess there's, there's a side of me that wants to get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can see how that can be kind of a pain in the butt. But no. <laughs> no. I think no, the I thing don't. is until somebody does it, it does seem it does seem overwhelming is not the right word, but it just seems like a whole extra step, right? Right. But once you do it, and the, I think where the mistake some people are making is they don't have a digital thermometer. They're not expensive. Get, get it on Amazon. I guarantee you for like 10 or 15 bucks on Amazon. Yeah, they're not expensive. Get a digital thermometer and just check it and, and make adjustments until you get there. It right. may be 50%. It may be 60, maybe 70, maybe 80, 100, 10. You don't know until, until you check it. So don't just pick a number and say 50% is what it is. I always do 50% because that might be right for half the year, but half the year might be completely wrong. Right. So once you get a handle on it, which takes all of one or two casts to get a handle on it. And then you just check every time then it just and make becomes routine. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's so easy, very, very quickly, like all of us, as you gain experience to, to very quickly be like, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to use a handful in this batch. <laughs> just keep <laughs> some notes. You know, that's all you have to do. If you keep notes, then you'll know, like you can flip back. I used to keep a notebook. I don't need more, but I probably should I just keep a notebook that just, I wrote the, the shop temperature, the amount of ice used, the amount of plasticizer are used. And, uh, and then I would make an adjustment. So two days later, I'm doing a cast. I'm like, what do we use again? I flip back 20% ice. And I'd also write down like at the end of the, the day when we're done, how the mix was, I'd write, I'd make a note, needs more ice, needs more plasticizer, whatever. So I would know the next time. Right. right. And, uh, and that was super, super helpful into getting a handle on what was needed. So get a notebook, Keep some notes. It won't take you long. Two, three, four projects. You'll be dialed in and it'll be second nature. Take you all of three minutes to do it that way and have much, much, much better results. Well, more consistent results. Because exactly. there, there is, and I, I know I use the word magic sometimes, but there is a magic that happens in a mix between, let's say, a you know, 50 to 60 degree zone, meaning a blended temperature and how your plasticizer kicks in and how fast and easy, which when I say, when I mean by fast and easy, it's easier on you. It's easier on your equipment. If you're using a handheld cola mixer, you know, you don't want to beat the snot out of yourself, you know, trying to mix it in your muck buckets or whatever. And the same thing running in an, in an Eimer or what's that mini something, you know, like, yeah, the, I know what you're GFRC talking about guys. Yeah. The, the propeller ones, so, you know, I mean, you don't want to beat the snot out of your equipment either. So get those temperatures down. Everything is more efficient, meaning the, the water dispersion through the mix, the, the ability for the plasticizer to act as a dispersant throughout the entire matrix, the time that you have from mixing to placing, you know, so the, so the mix isn't quote unquote setting up on you. 
I mean, there's so many things that makes the whole world of casting so much easier and more efficient if you just get that mix temperature down. Yeah. Air comes out of it easier, you know, mm-hmm. so you're not you're not chasing the mix. Nothing's worse, in my opinion, is when a mix starts cresting just over 75 and then you start chasing it. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Like you, you place a little bit and you're like, Hey, that was perfect. And then you reach back into your bucket and you're like, Jesus, cry me. It's hard. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, Hey, let's splash some water. Oh, it needs uh, a little flow. Okay. Then you <laughs> grab another scoop out of it. You know, dude, that's perfect. That's so oh, 2004, crap. man. That's so 2004. <laughs> that's, that's what I was doing back then. It's horrible. Let's mix and it then, again. Throw some water in it. Hit it again at the mixer. We're dragging it back and forth because, you know. Yeah. Right. And then but you your don't inner know. voice is telling yourself like, no, nah, let's just, we're done. Screw it. No. And then you're looking at this, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of mix. You're like, no, I can save it. I think I can make it. And then you can already feel the heat coming off of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, all of that. You're right. I can't even remember how long ago I've dealt with that kind of stuff. But, you know, I just said, you know, no more. Yeah. And so a very, very simple thing to do is number one, know your rules of what your mix temperature should be. In this case, we always talk 50 to 60 degrees. If we want to say 55, that's fine. But, you know, somewhere in that zone is where you want to be. And as long as you know where that zone is, then regardless of the time of year, you use ice or flip side would be maybe warm water or yeah, you know, that's something. Very few people. I wouldn't even throw warm water out there. Unless you're in Alaska in an unheated shop, right. then... Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. There's yeah, very few people. So as long as you know that rule, then you temper your mix and the use of ice to accommodate. Yeah. And it makes life, the entire process, so much easier less stressful. Don't freak out about it. I think I told you, I brought this up before. I remember talking to Jason Robertson when I sent him a video, just me working on a Saturday, sent, you know, set up my iPhone and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do a little video for him, you know, show him what I'm doing. And it was just me working, you know, grabbing mix out of the bucket, da, 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 sent it to him like, yep, this is, this is what it should look like. And his first comment back to me was how calm I was. Mm-hmm. He's like, John, I, I don't know how you do it. Now, I think since he has calmed down dramatically per my conversations with him. But that was the first takeaway that he got by watching me on a just a short, it wasn't, you know, on a couple three-minute video or something, um, was how calm. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I cannot not work like that. And one of those would be the fear, you know, just know your mix temperature to make the whole experience (laughs) easier. Dude, anybody came to one of my classes in Phoenix in the early 2000s, 2005, 2006, I used to tell people that once you start mixing, I think the movie The Hurt Locker had come out at that point. If not, I used to use that reference later. I don't know what I used in the very beginning if it hadn't come out yet. But I used to tell people, it's like The Hurt Locker, all right? (laughs) <laughs> once it once it starts, you're under the gun. You got to get it done. It's a ticking bomb, right? Yeah. You better hustle. So don't stand around with your hands in your your, your hands in your pockets. Get it going. Don't slow yeah. down. Don't get a drink of water. A lot of that had to do with not using ice in our mix. 
Yeah. We were fight. We were rushing so much because, you know, we're using probably 95 degree water and we're using mix that's 95 degrees and we're mixing it up and that stuff is setting on you and you're chasing it and you're adding more water and you're mixing it again. Hey, hey, drag it back over there. Hit it real quick. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's just like, yeah, you're at stress level 10 the whole time. And now... If you use the prop, if you use the proper amount of ice for the temperature in your shop at that time, and your mix is fifty to sixty degrees, it never changes. Your mix time or your your working time is the same in January as it is in June, as it is in October. If right. you keep it at that temperature, you have the same work time, and it's not you're not rushing, you're not rushing. So you know, there, there's just do it right. People are are making a switch over to Kodiak. I love it. Thank you very much. I mean, we, we yeah. love all the new customers we're getting. But you have to also, the materials are, are a game changer, and they're completely next level. But part of it is you need to up your game with processes. So if you want to make the switch, you're not happy with the stuff you've been using, and there's a reason you're switching over to our products, you also need to adopt the proper processes with ice and curing to maximize the results and not have problems. And if you do those things, they don't add any time you know, way less time than, than if you do it wrong and you have to fix mistakes, air pockets, recast, whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, your life gets easier. It gets less stressful. You end up with a better product. So I know it seems like work. I know it seems daunting until you do it. Just do it. Ain't nothing to it, but to do it, just do it. And then once you do it, you're like, Oh my God, I was making such a big deal in my mind about this. It's so easy to do. And then there you go. Well, that was always one of the hardest things when Buddy Rhodes products sold to Smooth on. And I think I've told you this story. Hell, I've probably talked it out a few times on the podcast is, is when the head rep at that time, Ernie, him and I got in these conversations when he was going around to other shops and he was same thing. He used to call me to pick my brain on like, you know, where's the loopholes in the whole curing process? And I'm like, well, well, there isn't one. And he goes, no, 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 seriously. Like, so you don't have to do that. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, wow, oh, John, you know, nobody's going to do that. Nobody, you know, just, that's just you. Says, you know, says, too says much the work. guy, says the guy that has never done concrete in his life, says the guy doesn't do this for a living. That's just a salesman is, exactly. is, is telling other people that are looking to them for knowledge and guidance on the wrong way to do something. And he's telling you, an expert, an actual fabricator, an actual concrete chemist, that no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Yeah, we don't have to do that. So, John, there's got to be ways around this. It's got to. And as I kept telling him, no. But I I guess I understood where he was coming from is for, well, number one, for a guy who wasn't doing it, for him to walk in with confidence and try to explain this to, I guess, shops that were not implementing any of these kind of strategies to begin with. And so for him, he's trying to sell product to these guys and under those same guys is say, hey, well, here's these products, but you also have to do it this way. I think there was a fear in his heart of like, it's not going to work. It's not well, going to work. Didn't have, so instead, he didn't have the depth of knowledge to back that up, to explain to people, here's why. And if you don't do it, here's what happens. Because exactly. you don't know what you don't know. And so uh, anyway, I don't back down on it. But the, you know, I also have to admit that during those period of times, 
that's not many. You start questioning yourself. I did. I'm like, oh. I don't. I never question myself. No, I never. Like, well, so what would I do? I, you know, since I still do all my in-house testing and it could be very subjective. It's a very subjective, simple test. And I've said it before. So make the same, make, cast the same mix, blend it up. I don't know. Mix 50 pounds. Make yourself a 25 pound sample in one 25. Don't cover it. I don't care. Don't just, or we'll put a stupid piece of plastic over it. I don't care. The other one cure the way we talked about. It'll be so obvious when you pull these two pieces out of the mold, both color depth, how much it weighs, yeah, you know, I was how say it weight, feels, weight. what it's yeah. Weight. Yeah, It'll how, be heavier, know, way heavier. Yeah. You know, um, do like Martin Haddock, grab a hammer, ping on it. You know, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Just tap it with You're your gonna... knuckles. You'll hear the resonance. It'll, it'll yeah. sound like porcelain. Another one will be totally dull, like a thud. Yeah. Dull yeah. and thud. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, keep going. I don't care. Stick it up on something and walk on it. One will snap, you know, one will, you know, kind of crumble. And then the other one, like, it, it'll be so obvious if you actually take a person takes the time to push these boundaries and then realize like, holy crap, man, this whole time I have been doing subpar when it's, it's not necessary. It's not necessary to do subpar. Well, the very first table I ever did properly cured properly was that white conference table that had the fabric formed like hills in the middle of it. The white one that I had in my old shop. Right. And I remember calling you because you told me how to cure it. And, um, what I did there, I didn't have packing blankets but I did plastic and I did like two inch foam on top of the plastic to hold the heat, yeah, which worked pretty it, yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, it still works. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I did the, the felt, then the plastic, then I did like two inches of foam on the back. Anyways, when we went to flip it. It was so much heavier. It was yeah. noticeably heavier, which some people are like, well, it's a bad thing. Well, it's not a bad thing if you're trying to make the densest concrete possible, which is what we right. want for the highest end clientele that we work with. We want the densest concrete. So it's stain resistant. It's strong. Um, you want that. You don't want aircrete. You know, you don't want concrete that if you cut it and look under a microscope, it's nothing but air pockets and voids throughout it. You want it to be as dense as possible, crystalline growth through the entire matrix. And that's what you get with proper curing. But it's a noticeable, It's if you've done it enough, you can tell in that very first piece, whoa, this is completely different. Completely different. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that you told me, which I've seen to be true, is if you cure it properly and you look under raking light, you'll actually see the crystalline growth on the surface, kind of like sparkles, like mica, mm -hmm. that yep. you don't see if you cure improperly. If you cure improperly and you demold it and flip it over, it's just completely flat, like matte. There's, there's no crystalline growth. But if you cure properly and flip it over and look, it looks like, like mica, almost. You can see it. And that's just the, the, the growth of the, the crystalline structure in the matrix. And you can see it. It's just, it's, you can see it with your eyes and then you pick it up and you tap on it, two different things. And all it took was some polyester felt, go to Joanne Fabrics, go to Walmart, polyester yeah. felt. It's like three bucks a yard. Polyester felt, plastic sheeting from Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, whatever, get like five mil, put that down. And then packing blankets, maybe heating blankets in the time and cure it. There you go. Wasn't hard. Yeah, seriously, it's not. And like anything, and once it becomes you a routine and what you're doing, you'll be like the rest of us and looking back going, 
uh, I'm sorry. Why was I fighting this? I, know. <laughs> like, I don't even know why I was why fighting did, it, honestly. Why did this seem so daunting? Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because you were like concerned about not having space to put your blankets in the shop or something. I, I don't just, know. But I, change is hard. <clears throat> change is hard. If you get set in a way of doing something, you know, Hiram told me back in the day, Hiram Ball, who's now passed away, but he was one of the early mm-hmm. uh, innovators in GFRC in the 70s and 80s. Hiram told me if you used Forton polymer, that it was form filming. You didn't need curing blankets. You didn't need to do any of that. Right. It's just going to rise to the surface, create uh, essentially a cure blanket, and it'll cure that way. Well, that's partially true. But what it's missing is it's not trapping the um, essentially the, the evaporation. Not bleed water. It's not bleed water, but there is moisture evaporating into that. Yeah, yeah. It, there's an, yeah, undeniable. Yeah. It's not trapping that, number one. And number two, it's not trapping the heat, which is even more important, in my opinion, because that's what drives the crystalline growth in the in the concrete. So if you, if you do that, you're ending up with a much weaker concrete. And then, you know, we talk about liquid polymers and how they actually slow the, the cure of the concrete and retard it. And uh, at the end of the day, they're detrimental to concrete. But that's a story for a different day. But, um, you know, so I got that... that uh, perspective from him. And so when you were telling me, no, Brandon, you don't want to do that. You want to do this? I'm like, eh, I mean, A, it sounds like more work. B, Hiram said I don't need to do it. You know, and I was stuck in my ways. I, said, yeah. I was stuck in my ways. I got yeah. used to it. But then once you do it, you're like, oh my God, dude. But you have to have a frame of reference. You don't know what you don't know. Well, and I think that's part of the, I'm not going to say Hiram was this way, but you know, he had a way of looking at things, but you know, people trying to sell product I think all too often, I mean, we don't do this, but all too often present a story that caters to what they think the end person wants to hear. If you can save one minute of work, you know, who was like, oh, yeah, everybody like buys into that. Yep. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Oh, you don't. Yeah, you don't need don't, that. Don't do yeah. that. That's if why you, you use put my product, yeah. you don't need to do any of these things. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you really do. But yeah, it's a sales pitch. It's a sales pitch is what it is. Yes. Like speaking of nostalgia, like another trip that all of us went down, I didn't. Um, I never bought one myself, but was again, the whole idea that all of us end up the whole, oh, sealers is the bane of the whole thing. And one of those, because the sealers, oh, they're too hard to cure. So yeah, let's go buy a $4,000 light that supposedly instantly cured so many got sucked into that because you were told a story that you wanted to hear that, you know, that just by having this, now this light, this backpack, electronic, you know, UV blue bulb thing that you wave over all of a sudden, that's going to instantly fix everything and everything else fades away. Right. Meaning, the concrete doesn't matter anymore. How you cured doesn't matter anymore. What temperature didn't matter anymore. What plasticizer you didn't matter anymore. What time of the year it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter how much sealer you put on there. The magic fix all was going to be this light that you used. And then pretty quickly, yeah, everybody found that that story that was told to sell a whole bunch of lights and a whole lot of UV based sealing technology was crap. Wasn't that like the last because sealer all, you'll ever need or something like that? Wasn't that? I feel like that was like a slogan back then. The last sealer you'll ever need or I don't know. I don't know. 
at the end of the day, that's just not something that we're going to do and we won't do it. So the the harsh truths are, you know, the foundation, the fundamentals matter. You know, it's not just about having a super secret cement in your mix or some super secret sands. Um, You know, there there is more than enough to mix designs that make some mixes far superior to others. But that doesn't mean you can skimp on the foundations. Exactly. That's the way I look at it. It's like fitness. Everybody just wants to take a pill. Just take a pill, you'll get in shape. But no, dude, you still got to work on diet. You still have to have physical exercise. Those are things that are part of it. And uh, so with this, you know, you can have the best mix possible. And we have the best mix possible. I think that's undeniable. But you have the best mix possible. But if you don't do the, as you say, the fundamentals properly, you're not going to end up with the absolute best results, which doesn't take much to end up that. Control your mix temp, cure properly. Bada bing, bada boom. Super easy. That's actually a very good comparison. When I mean, I just thought about that. So in the, in the, let's say getting in shape point of view, what, what, there's something like you're, you'll never outwork a poor diet. Oh, exactly. You know, That's my problem. It doesn't matter. And yeah. 80% I'm drinking, of I'm your drinking results, Pepsi right now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> of your results come from diet. Okay. 80%. So I'm just trying to put that in perspective. What we're doing It's the same thing. We're saying 80% of your results are can come from, you know, following the foundations, the proper foundations. Yeah. You know, the other 20% is yeah, get the right amount of sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, if you don't, well, don't give up the other 80%. Don't live on donuts and, you know, still clean up your diet. You still need your exercise. So it's an exercise. It's not like a difference of, you know, I'm, I'm doing CrossFit versus heavy weight training or this or that. Yeah, maybe one's a little bit better than the other. But at the end of the day, if you're not following 80% to get the results, the rest doesn't flip and matter. Yeah. And that's, that's how I feel with this stuff. So anyway, I'll, so anybody still listening, I'll still give you a phone call and tell you the same thing. You may not be happy with your answer, but I'm going to start using that as a, as a thing. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, uh, a little segue here. I got the t-shirts today for the concrete hoedown. They came in. Awesome. Dude, they look so good. They look so good. We've had several more signups. Uh, over the last couple of weeks since the last podcast. Probably a month so, away, right? We're exactly a month away. It's uh, October 14th and 15th. Today is September 14th, so we're exactly a month. And uh, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, sweet, man. What's, uh, what did I just have come in? Or it's supposed to be showing up today. Those pads are supposed to be showing These up today. These damn pads. We keep talking about the pads. Where are the pads, John? Yeah. What, what's going on with the pads? Well, I just ordered more, and I knew it's. it usually takes them two to three weeks to make them because... You know, they're not just sitting on a shelf waiting to be. They, we had the dyes made, so then they have to actually take that dye and cut all new pads for us. So I always know it takes two to three weeks. Gotcha. That's just the way it is, yeah. Cool. So I, I believe they're supposed to – I just looked again. It said delivery for the 15th. So if that's true, then they should be here today. Sweet. And I think I did tell you, I went ahead and ordered as a comparison – the he calls them the metal bond version or um, you know maybe electroplated version or whatever i don't know if they really truly are going to be better but there may be situations so anyway it was worth a comparison so i ordered some of those as well 
Cool. To be made. Yeah. So hopefully if they come in, I'm going to shoot you some so that you can get them loaded up on the website. Sweet. Yeah. If anybody, uh, doesn't know what the hoedown is, a concrete hoedown and a holler. It's a two-day event. We're going to have a Dusty Baker's Place in McEwen, Tennessee, October 14th and 15th. And we're going to be demonstrating how to mix, maker mix and rad mix. We're going to demonstrate how to cast, how to cure, how to seal. We're going to answer questions you have. And we're just going to have a really good time. It's, it's as much a social event as it is about concrete. So it's a place where you can come and meet other concrete people and just have a good time and talk shop and just be around like-minded people. So Like-minded people, yeah. It's just going to be a good, good time. And you can sign up for that. Go to KodiakPro.com, click on the menu, go to um, Shop, Training, and Events, and you'll see the Concrete Hoedown. You can sign up there. It's uh, $9.99, and that includes a $250 credit towards Maker Mix or Rad Mix. And so ultimately, it's $7.49 for the, for the two days, and it's going to be a good time. And when did you say you're going to find out about your shop? Dude, who knows? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> this, this guy, if any, it, you're right. If anybody's still listening, I'll tell this little, little quick story about this dummy I'm dealing with. He listed this building for sale and he wants 350 for it, but he wants to close in January because he's made too much money and he, he doesn't want any more money coming this year. I said, fine, I'll pay you 350. I called uh, my bank. I'm going to get the loan through. And they're like, yeah, no, we can close in January. That's fine. So I said, yeah, that's fine. So 350 close in January. He's like, cool. I want 7,500 in rent for the next three months. I'm like, hmm, what? Uh, what? He's like, yeah, I want 7,500 rent. So I talked to my realtor. I'm like, dude, I'm not renting a building. I'm buying a building. He wants to close in January. So I'll pay the $7,500 right now. Cause he's like, well, he's worried that maybe you don't follow through and he loses, you know, loses out on, on that time frame." Now mind you, his building's probably been empty for years. I don't know. It doesn't look like anybody's rented it in quite a while. But I was like, dude, I'll pay seventy five hundred, and in uh, January I'll pay three forty. What was that three forty two five? The difference, up, yeah, yeah. three forty two five in January. I was like, that's fair. He's getting his three fifties close in January. That's what he wants. Sure. And I'm All paying good. him seventy five hundred right now, just in case for whatever reason yeah. I bail on you. You got your money. You didn't lose a thing, right? So they send it, and they're like, okay, great. And, uh, and they're like, well, do you accept the building as is? And, well, I don't know what as is is. I got to get an inspector. So I get an inspector and the owner wanted to be out there. So I go out there and uh, the owner's like, job of the hut, this guy. He's just this big old fat old man sitting in the chair pontificating about how much money he's made. <laughs> I made so much money. And I'm just like, oh, great. You know, he's like, he's like a 75-year-old Cartman from South Park, this guy. And oh. uh, I'm trying to be nice to the guy, right? He's just bragging, just telling, you know, I, 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 I'm so successful. And, and I'm like, all right, great. Yeah, great. Cool. And, uh, and he's like, he's like, you know, 350. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, and 7,500 in rent. And my realtor's like, yeah, dude, we're going to pay you 7,500 in rent. And then in January, we pay 342.5. He's like, no, no, no. 350 in January, 7,500 in rent between now and then. And I'm like, uh, we already covered this. I'm not doing that. I'm not renting a building. He's like, well, I'm not going to give you three months free. I'm like, there's nothing free. You're not giving me anything for free. Yeah, I'm, you're not giving me anything I'm not free. renting anything. I'm buying, and you want to close in January. So anyways, this goes on and on and on, back and forth. He's like, oh, you know, I'll do it for 6000 rent, and then finally 5000 He's like, if you don't like it, you can take a hike. And I just put my sunglasses on. I'm like, I'm done, right? So I go outside. Long story short is, uh, and that guy left. Long story short is, uh, essentially, they're they're going to fix some stuff on the building needs to be fixed. 
Um, we're gonna do 350. But uh, I told him, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give this guy another penny. So I'm moving in January. That's fine. That's fine. I'll put everything in storage, and I'll just wait. You know, I'll pay. I don't know, thousand bucks a month in storage, whatever it's costing me. Uh, and I'll move twice essentially. But I, from a principal viewpoint, I'd rather do that than give him a penny more than what we agreed upon. So to answer your question in like seven minutes, that's uh, that's what's going on. So we'll see. I don't know. I signed a contract. I'm sending Ernest money tomorrow. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Good, man. (laughs) Wichita in springtime. Uh, Yeah. Never been there. Yeah. Well, dude, neither have I. You know, I'm kind of, we're just going into fall here Mm -hmm. in Eureka and the Ozark Mountains, Northwest Arkansas. And the leaves are just starting to change. Yeah. Like there's a couple falling, the acorns are falling, all the walking sticks are coming out. I love walking sticks. They're awesome. They love rammed earth. They're all over the rammed earth walls. So cool. Praying mantises are out. My favorite time of year. And I'm moving away and I'm like, ugh. But I'm hoping Wichita is pretty cool in the fall too. I don't know. I'm going to see. But this is my favorite time. I can't imagine it isn't. I mean, I, I would think it might be even more dramatic. I mean, at least the Area you showed me all the trees and the, <clears throat> I mean, all those leaves got to go somewhere. Yeah, that's true. It's true. It's going to be, it's going to be a good time. The girls are in school. They love their school. Uh, you know, it's just the next, the you next. Got Halloween uh, around the corner. I You're know. now in a neighborhood. You get to. But I can't go outside and pee like I do right now. Like right now I can step outside my door and just pee. There's nobody to see. You know Dude, how great that say, is? Just don't say anything. Just act like it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> you know how great that is? Oh, I'm going to miss it so much. You know, you take just, your dogs out and he can just pee right there. They're peeing. You're be peeing. Be that neighbor, buddy. Just be that neighbor. I should be. You're like, oh. Oh, I'm already that neighbor. Dude, my neighborhood, it's like a Hallmark movie, this neighborhood, right? It's like all these uh, historic homes and everybody's got like a Land Rover, a Range Rover, a Subaru, a Mercedes, and here's Brandon. All tatted up with a beard, right? Driving a white work uh, truck. Yeah. I'm already the outlier in this neighborhood. Uh, so we'll see. There's some neighbors across the street. They're like, you know, 85 years old. They just give me the, the cold shoulder. I always wave at them. Hey, good morning. They don't even look at me. <laughs> I'm sure they're like, this neighborhood's going downhill. Look at these criminals moving in. You know. Oh, don't do that. Go knock on the door and say hi. Well, my wife and, and kids, they made the rounds and gave people concrete uh-huh. planters that they planted and, you know, handwritten cards and stuff. They did all that stuff. So, there you go. Yeah, hopefully hopefully they warm up, but, you know, whatever. I'm an acquired taste. It takes a minute. Oh, man, look at you it. It's a minute. You're going to have one of those hologram things in the front window with the, <laughs> with the ghost thing going. And the blow-up Santa all. Claus in the front yard. <laughs> exactly. Dude, I can, I'm going to be like Clark Griswold, man. I can feel it. Like, I'm going to be up there putting up a thousand lights on the, yeah. on the house. Um, what I was going to say is, you know, in Phoenix, a long, long, long time ago, I used to have these neighbors at my old shop, and there was this guy that was totally heavily tattooed, face tattooed, neck tattoo, shaved head, goatee, big gauged ears, like huge, like three inch, uh, whatever there are in his ears. And I never, never gave that guy the time of the day. I always thought like he was just a degenerate, right? I'd see him. I'm just like, look at this guy, tattoos, shaved head, face tattoo. You know, I just made that snap judgment by his appearance. 
And then one day I had these uh, whiskey barrels delivered because I was doing a bar and the base was whiskey barrels. And he saw the whiskey barrels and he walked over and he's like, I swear to God, this is the way it went. He's like, excuse me, are you, uh, are you making whiskey? That's the way he talked. I'm like, uh, that's not how I expected him to talk. I thought he was like, hey, bro, are you making, you know? yeah. he's like, excuse me, are you uh, making whiskey? Making I'm like, liquor. I was like, no, I actually make concrete sinks and countertops. It's for a bar. He's like, oh my gosh, that's so great. He's like, well, actually, you know, my hobby is distilling spirits and I, I make whiskey and vodka and different things. And so we start talking about it. He was like so eloquent and so intelligent. And I immediately felt so bad for the way I, I'd never treated him badly, but I had made this decision no. about him in my mind yeah. just on his appearance. And when I started talking to the guy, I felt bad about the way I'd felt about him, if that makes sense. I just, I was like, oh, why did I, why did I have that feeling towards this guy when he was just, you know, whatever. People, people can get face tattoos and they can do what they want. It doesn't, it doesn't change who they are as a person. So anyways, long story short is, I kind of feel like I'm that guy in this neighborhood. Like, I'm that guy here uh, because they're all, you know, old, older, wealthy, professionals, whatever. And uh, I'm not. So, no, but you're, you're you're a young professional, youngish. I mean, that's slowly fading away from the young side, but yeah, you know, I like to think that I'm young. I still feel like I'm young until I like wake up in the morning. I get out of bed and I'm like sore, and I'm like, Ugh, I'm just like you know, mm. doing like the the sore walk around the house in the morning. See, that's what I got to get back to. This last week with getting the COVID. <clears throat> yeah, man. Normally, I, I mean, I'm up, I get going, I got no issues whatsoever. You sure didn't get monkeypox? But I have to admit, no, I haven't had any monkeypox. Mm, okay. Just making sure. I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think we're going to get monkeypox until, unless it pushes further than what, who's currently getting it. It uh. seems like, again, unfortunately, it seems like the group of individuals that seem to be catching the monkey pox are catching it uh, associated with other things. So well, that's why I was asking. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> and no, I think I'm going to avoid it. <laughs> no, it's not going to get me. It won't get me. John's like that one blip on the map, you know, like, I don't know how I got it. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's unfortunate. But um, who knows, man? It might be one of those that comes and goes. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just another one of the, you know, something to, to be hysterical about in a way. But Yeah. Uh, what else? What else? Anything, John? Is that it? That's all I can think of right now, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, hopefully by next week, I'll be far more on my feet and rock and rolling. But this last week, man, I was down. Yeah. Down, down, down. Like, just nobody talked to me. Leave me alone. I even had the one guy with this project, like, tried to send me a text. I'm like, yeah, don't text me. <laughs> just, no. <laughs> no, I want no part of nothing. So I'm feeling much better then. Much, much better. Now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Well, oh, oh, I'm about to fall off this bar stool. Easy. I, I know. I've got to run to town, get some supplies tonight. So I'm going to hop off here, but uh, let's do it All again. Right, as usual. Week. As Good usual. talking to you, man. Good talking to you. Adios, Miko. Adios. <laughs>